specifically appreciate Pastor Sifas, who is not able to be with us this morning, uh, for bringing the word so powerfully last uh, Sunday on uh, a very, very vital topic on marital success. I want to appreciate God for the life of his servant. I have known him for about 18 years, almost 18 years. I have never seen a dull moment in the spiritual life of that man of God. And I really want to thank him for being a friend and being a faithful friend at that. And so I want to also welcome those who are worshipping with us on LifeGate Outreach TV and those listening to this message by uh, audio podcasts in um, iTunes or on Buzzsprouts. If you don't know those portals, they are there for you to use. Our IT systems will probably need a bit of upgrade. We're having some problems with our cabling. That's why the projection has not been as good. Uh, so we will hopefully look into that in the course of the week. They have faithfully served us for five years. So there comes a time where you need to replace one or two things and check one or two things. So we need to just be sure everything is still working okay. Uh, but if you don't know, we're going to do some demonstrations at some point, hopefully, so that you can see how you can access some of those things, particularly the audio messages and how you can send them to people, because the resources are there uh, for our benefit and for the benefit of others as well. And so we are in, by God's grace, the third part of a very important series, which was started about two weeks ago, on prospering by divine help. Um, for those of you that are newer to the church, we have a four-vision objective mandate by God to raise with him and for him a people of purity, power, purpose, and prosperity. Uh, that doesn't mean that's all we talk about, but that's our major focus, and that's our mandate as a people. And so we, in every year since this church has started, we take time to concentrate on those four things in addition to every other thing that God helps us to learn from Scripture. So we are on the fourth vision objective this year. Obviously, we started with our uh, empowerment series, and then we went on to look at uh, purpose, uh, and uh, uh, we, we, went, we started with our purity series, then went on to look at empowerment and purpose, and then we are now looking at prosperity, the word of prosperity, which is taking us through a series that has been titled Prospering by Divine Help. Now, within that context, we are on the third of uh, nine parts of many topics that we're looking at this time. We started by looking at receiving divine help for productive lifestyle. We say a life of a believer must be productive. And we said there has to be productivity. Somebody say spiritual productivity. Say say productivity of the soul. And productivity of the body. So there has to be physical productivity or productivity of the body, the things that we do, the things that God has commanded us to do. There has to be productivity of your soul, your soul, your will, your intellect, your emotions, where those things reside. There has to be productivity, increase, lages. Because the word that was given to man that was originally created was that he should go forth and multiply and replenish the earth productivity, reproduce after your own kind, and also become more than you currently are. And um, we looked at that very extensively two weeks ago, and we said it's on the basis of that that we'll be breaking it down to the different aspects of spiritual uh, productivity, productivity of the soul, and productivity in the physical. And this is where we are. Last week, we looked at marital success. 
Because when man is individual, is good. But God said at a point that it is not good for man to be alone, and so he will make a helpmeet for him. And so marriage was introduced, and we said for that purpose, there has to be marital productivity as well. If God desires that marriage be an institution that he established, there ought to be marital success. Of course, we know that the statistics are not showing us enough evidence, uh, are showing us enough evidence to, to let us know that we have a lot of work to do to ensure marital success in trusting God some more. And that was dealt with extensively last Sunday and throughout the week in our various sessions. Uh, those of you that missed last Wednesday, I want to encourage you, if you can't tune in on a Wednesday, join the Zoom fellowship because a lot of practical things were discussed in the course of that meeting and uh, I believe it consolidated on what was shared on Sunday. So do everything you can to be there. It's online. You can join from anywhere you are if you are uh, having the, the opportunity to do so. And uh, today we are moving into something also crucially important, which is receiving help for parental success. And uh, as you can see on the banner, it is the third in the series. And um, we are trusting God to help us to look at a few things. This is a, a subject that is very close to my heart. I believe that uh, parenting is one of the most uh, divine assignments that God gave to mankind and one that has to be taken so seriously. There is no future for any generation without proper parenting. Check a society where parenting is effective and is good and is well delivered. You can see a prosperous society. You can see a society that will be founded on a solid foundation that allows there to be increase in the right direction. Check communities and societies where parental dysfunction is of the order of the day, then you can see every crime and every vices that are always in prevalence. So we need to look at this and uh, trust God to really help us to prosper according to his order in parental matters. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2 is my base scripture for this series, and it says, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. If the Bible says you prosper in all things, somebody, says all, somebody say all things, all things, simply means all things. So nothing is to be, you know, taken away from it. If he says, I pray that you may prosper in all things, even as your soul prospers, it simply prospers. It means that God, God's will for us is to prosper in all things. When God called Abraham, he explained clearly why he wanted him to prosper. Abraham was called, as we call him, our father in the faith today, so that he can start a lineage of people after several disappointments. God created Adam, Adam fell, Adam was restored, Noah came along, there was no other pe person on the earth, everybody was doing evil, Noah came along, and Noah found grace in the sight of God to preserve a new lineage. And several people were destroyed, and God continued with mankind, but until a time, he found Abraham, then called Abram, and he felt, and he said he was going to continue to establish his covenant through this man. And he found the faithfulness in Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we know the Bible says, The Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Amen. He said, Get out to a land I will show you. And he said, I will make you into what? 
a great nation. Verse 2. He said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Abraham's blessing was not to end on him being blessed, but him being a blessing. That is the ultimate. And every one of us called after the order of Abraham is called the same way. To be blessed, to be a blessing. We are blessed of God to receive salvation, to have the blessings of life. But what God wants us to do is to be a blessing to the children that are being born unto us. So that they too can be blessed and can be a blessing. Every generation is expected to supersede the previous generation. That is God's order. Every generation. Now, I know that when I look at some people and what they've accomplished, to be quite frank with you, I used to pity their children. I ask myself, how will a child come to supersede this kind of thing? But if you follow and you wait long enough, you see it happen. Praise the Lord. As long as those children remain in the same covenant, they, they leverage everything that you have seen that looks like the most glamorous thing. From time to time, I talk about God's servant, Joel Osteen, quite a lot. I listen to him. I'm encouraged by his messages quite a lot. Uh, and as I always say, nobody is perfect. Uh, I'm not saying that he's a perfect standard, but in many respects, a person to really have respect for. And... Um, when his, when his father started out in ministry for 12 years, the church did not grow more than 12 people. Uh, sorry, more than 100 people for 12 years. More than 100 people. And then suddenly the church became a thousand. God began to prosper the church and it became a thousand people. And uh, by 1999, when the church was being handed over to Joel Osteen, the church was 6,000 people. Now, for a church that came and from that kind of a 30, 40 years struggle of getting to that number, you would think it had peaked and it has reached the best it can ever reach. Today, the church packs 30,000 people at a time and they have three services over a weekend. Now, that is God. Hallelujah. That is God superseding. I was listening to a message very early this morning by his own son, Jonathan. That's the grandfather of John Austin, Joel's father. And so a third generation is gradually coming on. Now, when you look at such things, it just proves the fact that when a generation is serving God and is having the fear of God, and that generation gives birth to children that are taught how to fear God and to serve God, we give them a potential to do exceedingly more abundantly than what they have done. And so this is why it is important. God's call on Abraham is that he will be blessed and his name will be made great and he shall be a blessing. Part of that blessing was to empower Abraham for what I call parental success. We can see that from Genesis chapter 18 and from verse 17. This was the time when Sodom was about to be destroyed, Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Verse 19, he said, for I have known him. Let's read that together. I'm sure you can see that now. Let's read together. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. Somebody say after him. He said that day, let's keep going, that day keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. I like those words and I emphasize them. He said, I know him, number one. God knows you. He knows that you have the potential. That's why he called you. 
He knows that you have inside you what he has put inside you to make a parental success. He said, I know him. I know him. That's number one. Then he said, I know him that he will do what? Command his children. The word command there is military-like. The word command there shows something that is a, is a, uh, a call to follow in a mandatory fashion. A call to restrict options to the only one option. I know he will command his children. Military people use the word command quite a lot. That is why we understand when the centurion met Jesus Christ and said, Jesus said, I am going to heal him. He said, no, you don't need to go. I understand command. I understand command. All you need to do is to speak a word. In the spirit, when you speak a word, the same way I speak it in the physical and those people who serve me, obey me, I know you that if you speak, the centurion said to Jesus, my paraphrase, that if you speak that word, I know that my servant will be healed. Hallelujah. Because the word command simply means that that thing that it is being spoken to must respond. And so the Bible says, I know Abraham that he may command his children and his household. And that what they sh- should they do? They should be after him. So he was going to be the pace setter and they should follow. This is why we need to pay, pray for our men some more. Man a man, I'm talking about the physical man, the gender male, is ordained of God to be a commander. Please, mark my words, not an abuser, but a commander. A commander, a pace setter. That is God's design. A man should be a visionary. A man should be the one who sees the way, charts the course, and then commands his household after him. As he charts that rightful cause or that cause in righteousness. This is why the devil is doing everything he can today. To destroy the institution of manhood. To weaken the manhood gender. To weaken the male gender. To make it more difficult. To take away their jobs. To make life difficult for them. Because the more the man is weakened, the more he finds it difficult to chart the cause. And the more he finds it difficult, of course, to command any household or any child for that matter. When a man is weakened spiritually, physically, and financially, it becomes more difficult. And so this series is not just about telling you what to do but also coming with a word that is also commanded of God to give you the capacity to demonstrate that which God already knows that you can do. And I pray that for every man and every woman, every father, every mother here, my God will give you the capacity to be true and faithful parents indeed in the mighty name of Jesus. So God's desire is that parents take the responsibility for children that have been given by him. Psalm 127 verse 3 to 5 are scriptures that we read every now and then to remind us that children have come from God. He said, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of his womb is what? A reward. Verse 4. He said, Like arrows, verse 4, thank you, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Let's read verse 5 together. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies 
in the gates. So God's desire is that children grow to become strong and responsible adults who will continue to exercise true dominion, the true dominion mandate, even after their parents. You see, a time comes when parents sit in the house and it is the children that go to the gates. I'm just using that uh, as an illustration. When I was very young, about 35 years ago, my father was, he, was just turning 50. And um, up till you know, that time, I could see his vibrancy. I could see how much he loved the things of God. And I used to follow him. He, used to, he was very itinerant. He goes from place to place and he will preach and I will record his messages. And uh, I used to learn a lot from him. And I learned a lot from his own friends who were his contemporaries in the church we were at that time. And it occurred to me that these men were, uh, in my own little way then I could understand, that these men were pace setting. And um, I picked one or two things. You've heard me speak about some of the people that influenced me as a child growing up. But of course I understood also at that early age that I only could go beyond what I could see them do because I've been given the opportunity to climb on their shoulders. And this is how we must let young people see that the potential of what we are doing. Why are we, why are we so uh, passionate about doing certain things today? Why do we want to outreach? Why do we want to purchase a building like this? Why do we want to do those things? Why do we want to stretch ourselves to keep praying and keep interceding for the future? Because we want to create a platform that makes it easier for these young ones that you see running all over the place today to have a leverage for which they can do much better. Hallelujah. Every generation owes the next generation a platform for which they can perform better than they did. We owe it as a responsibility and as a, as, as a, commanded, a commandment of God to give the future or the coming generation a better platform for which they can perform. Hallelujah. And so this is very important for us. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 18, he said, here am I, and the children whom the Lord has given me, we are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. The devil will do everything he can not to make our children to be for signs and wonders with us. It is by intercession and by enabling them to see that they can do that we will continue to make sure that the word of God comes to pass in their lives. The promise of God, if you go back to Psalm 127 verse 5, is that the children will fight the enemies at the gates. As I said concerning my own life, my father now is in his 80s, he's 84 years old by the grace of God, but I'm the person at the gate. 35 years ago, he was at the gate for us. Now I'm at the gate. I'm not going to be at the gate forever. A time will come, I will go back into the house as well. And then these generations will be at the gate. And that is how it should go. Hallelujah. They will be the ones fighting at the gate. But how do they fight at the gate if we don't teach them now from inside the house what it means to fight at the gate? If they don't see us now fighting at the gate so that when they, it is their, their turn to fight at the gate, they know what to do when they're at the gate. It is very important that we must understand that the responsibility of parenting is such that the children are always watching and we must be a people who are ready to show them what it takes to truly be children of God. Now, this is God's intention, that generations prosper, have the fear of God, love God, and do well, and pass that on to generations to come. But unfortunately, we all know that the statistics today are showing us very contrary things. In our own country here, 
In London alone, this year we have, uh, the records show us that we have about 119 cases of knife crimes in just this one year, not what has been happening over time. That's horrendous. That is terrible. But that is an indication of failed parenting. That's an indication of a society that is neglecting her duty in parenting. We must understand that this is not the will of God. Most of the perpetrators of these kind of crimes are young people, teenagers, or very young adults, who should still be under instruction of parents in many cases. We have to revise the tide. We know what the Word of God says. We are convinced by what the Word of God says. All we need to do is to do what the Word of God says. Hallelujah. We must not allow this onslaught of the enemy to continue. Our society is fast changing the order of the chain of command. God said to Abraham, I know he will command his children after me. Today, we have children who are trying to dictate to us. And we are coming up with terms like negotiation and uh, terms like, you know, discussing, which are, which are sounding all nice in a modern world. But we must understand that no negotiation must take the place of commanding children to do the right things. Amen. <laughs> When we negotiate with children, we negotiate only based on what the Word of God says. It's either the Word or nothing. Because that is the way we can also command our children after us. Amen. I like what an American man said sometime. I've quoted it to you before, and I'll say it again. He said, teachers are afraid of head teachers or principals in our day and age. And head, princip- head teachers and principals are afraid of school governors in our day and age, because they determine their bread and butter. And school governors are afraid, apparently, of parents, because when parents are irritated, they can actually make sure that the school can lose the the structure of governors that they have. And parents are afraid of children, because parents don't want to upset children anymore. They want an easy life. So the children cry, ah, they give him. Ah, they give him. Hallelujah. And then the children are no longer afraid of anybody whatsoever. (laughs) So they do as they like. Now that is not God's will. That is not God's intention. Now children must never and should never be abused. That is unacceptable. That is also not God's will. But children don't just turn out right. Children must be taught to do the right thing. I have seen where children as young as three-year-olds, four-year-olds, throw tantrums in a shopping mall and get disruptive. And parents just sit there and watch. And when you sort of say, what's happening? They say, that's him. That's the way he behaves. That's not the way he behaves. You're allowing him to behave like that. (laughs) You should get a hold of that child and tell him how to behave. That's the will of God. Children don't, will not just know how to behave. We have to teach them how to behave. When you teach them very well at home, when they're out there, they will behave properly. Amen. 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 And I know that children matters are very sensitive to parents, but we must understand that it, stands, stems, it should stem from what the Word of God says. Many years ago in 2004, I was traveling abroad and I was giving some money to do the official trip, so I needed to go to the bank. Because of the country I was going into, 
it was at that time it was very difficult to do anything without cash so i had to withdraw a lot of money it wasn't too much but over the counter when you were those days withdrawing about two thousand pounds oh it was a ceremony they took your picture you stood there and you know you did all sorts of things they went in and came out i was there for about 30 minutes just to withdraw cash of two thousand pounds now my three children were with me at that time the eldest at that point in time was just six years old the three of them were there so at that age the youngest was just barely two thereabouts and uh, they were they stood in line with me they were taking my picture fingerprint and asking the question and i was signing all the forms over the counter i remember in an hsbc bank in in wolverhampton and the lady i didn't know across the counter was very observant of the children because they stood the same place i stood for 30 minutes i'm talking of two-year-old four-year-old two uh, and six-year-old you 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 couldn't uh imagine it that at that age they could be that calm anyway the woman said to me at a point when we finished and i was about going he said please can i ask you one question i said what is it ma'am he said are those your children i said yes he said they are so well behaved that they've been stood with you like that for 30 minutes and you didn't have to chase them up and down i simply smiled we have done the chasing somewhere else you don't know <laughs> we have done the chasing in the right place so that when we get to a place like this we don't have to chase how many of you understand what i'm saying when you do the right things at home, when you go out, the children behave. So parents understand these things. It is not rocket science. It just takes common sense for you to understand. The children are looking up to you for guidance. They are looking up to you for, to learn behavior. They are looking up to you to know what to do. Some of us who say children can't eat certain food. You give them uh, uh, vegetables. You give them salad. You give them those things that children don't naturally like. And you think that you, you, you're just going to have a field day getting them to eat it. You make them eat it. You don't tell me that a child doesn't like eating salad. No, he has to eat salad. Because it is good for them. Hallelujah. You tell them you have to eat fruits. If you leave children, they're going to eat sweets and sweets and move from chocolate to biscuits. That's what they'll eat. And you say, that's what he eats. It's just, no, that's not what he eats. That's what you keep giving him to eat. You have to tell the child... Child, there is a balance between these things. This one you must eat. You may not like it, but you must eat it. Praise the Lord. This is how we were raised. We were not just given the things that we wanted. Otherwise, we would have been failures today. We were made to take the things that were good for us. When it was time to pray, whether we were interested or not, was not my father. That's not, my father doesn't look at your face to ask whether you wanted to go to church. It was not a negotiable thing. You don't negotiate it when he says it's church time. It, whether you are like that or you are smiling is, is irrelevant. So you better pack yourself and get into the car. And this is why it is part and parcel of our lives today that we cannot do without those things. Paul charged the Ephesians. He said with, with them in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. He said to them, look, you children among these people, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Somebody say, this is right. This is right. Say, when parents are in the Lord, children must obey them. For this is right. Is that not in the Bible? Did you read that in Ephesians 6.1? He said, for this is right. This is the correct thing to do. Verse 2. He said to them again, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. What is the promise? Verse 3. Let's read verse 3 and what we should be telling the children all the time. That what? That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. 
If you don't want to be a child that is wayward and a child that has no focus, honor your father and mother. We tell the children, honor your father and mother so that it can be well with you. Now let's read our own responsibility in verse 4. He said, and you, verse 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but do what? Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The word training there is so important. Proverbs 22 verse 6 tells us, Train up a child the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Notice that it did not say the ways he would go. There is only one way to go. John 14 6 tells us what that way is. Jesus said, I am what? The way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The primary responsibility of a parent, a Christian parent particularly, is to train the children in the way of the Lord. So I'll quickly tell you three things that are very important when we talk about this training. The first thing is that we must give children instructions regarding the things of God. We must give children instructions regarding the things of God. So this means things to do with salvation, things to do with baptism, things to do with discipleship, prayer, reading the word of God, meditation, fellowship, I've talked about coming to church, reaching out to others in evangelism. We must instruct children. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 tells us, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for what? instruction in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God who used to be a child of God that has received instruction, that has received correction, that has received rebuke, that has received doctrine, that has received reproof, may be complete. The man of God is the one that has received all those things and is now complete and is thoroughly equipped to do what? Every good work. There is work that is waiting for these children ahead. They are not going to do them as they are now. They are going to be able to do those works for God as we allow them to go through correction using the word of God. Doctrine, understand doctrine using the word of God. And instruction in righteousness. This is one of the reasons why the emphasis we are making on our children now, our children now, our children in Sunday school now, is to learn scripture, learn the word of God. Know the word of God. Because the word of God contains everything for reproof, for rebuke, for correction. Some of us were spared only by the word of God when we left home. Where I grew up those days, once you were 12 years, 90% of the cases you had to leave home to a boarding school. All our secondary school, when I was in secondary school age, were boarding schools. And we left home for 90 days at a time. And it only was the word of God that we had been taught from home that kept us. Because at those environments, even though we were still under the tutelage of teachers and confined, relatively looked over, supervised very well, we had free moments and we could do things. We could go to town. Many of our mates started going to parties, sneaking out, of, of, of course, illegally, going off to parties and doing stuff that were not right, starting to use drugs, smoking, drinking, and stuff like that. And they snuck back into the school the next day, or especially over the weekends. It was the word of God that we had 
as six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, ten-year-olds that kept us in those moments, that reminded us that we were children of the Most High God, that reminded us that we had to have the fear of God. Those were the things that God used over time. A time will come when those children that you are seeing on a daily basis today would not be under your care, and you have absolutely no control over it. Absolutely no control. When I met, uh, I'm sure you will not mind me sharing this, when I met uh, Dr. Keith and his wife some months back and we were just getting to know each other some more, he said something that he doesn't know really impacted me. He said, once you've trained the children, once you've told them the right thing to do, wherever they go, however they go, I don't know if you remember this, keep your mind at rest because those right things will keep them. Keep your mind at rest. If you don't train them and tell them the right things, when they go out, you'll be checking. You'll be phoning. You will not be able to sleep. You don't know what they're doing. But once you let the word of God be the foundation for them, you have put them on an altar. Of course, you keep praying for them. You keep supporting. But it gives you rest. It gives you peace at the end of the day. Because those children will now be guided by those things that you have told them. Hallelujah. We must all understand this, that this is the principle of God. All scripture, somebody say all scripture, is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. So we must learn the scriptures and we must pass it on to the children. Something Joshua said in Joshua chapter 14, and Joshua chapter 4 verse 20, when they crossed the Jordan and they were at Gilgal. Verse 20, the Bible says, and these 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Verse 21, then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, somebody say time to come, when they say, what are these stones? Let's read verse 22 together. Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. Verse 23, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. Let's shout verse 24 together. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. He said, set up the 12 stones, tell the children. He said, when they cross, you are going to let them know that there is a place where they are crossing on dry land. Amen. That they are crossing on dry land. And uh, you should let them know also that this place where they have crossed on dry land is something God has done. And it was the same way 40 years ago when they first crossed the Red Sea. What does that mean? We must know how to keep documentary evidence of what we read in the scripture and the things that have also kept us in life to keep telling children. When my father told me that he lost both of his parents before he was age 15 and how God helped him to gain scholarship, to go to secondary school, scholarship, I'm talking of the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. These were days where things were very, very way behind of what we have now. How God helped him to go to get scholarship right up to studying up to PhD, it dawned on me that the God of this man is truly a helpful God. Many people who were his age mates, who lost parents when they were 15, would have lost everything because what would you do as a child? 
What would you do? How would you go? And so it is important for us to document, to be able to say, as God is helping us in crossing every Jordan, that we have experienced God, the same God we read about that parted the Red Sea, how he helped us. Some of us have migrated from other countries to this country, and uh, the children are born into the system, and a lot of them would not understand the hurdles that you had crossed in order to be able to get established in this place. Document it. Let them know the God who helped you to give them a life and a future here. So that as they grow, they can tell their children to come that my father had a God that brought him and helped him to be established. That's why we have all the houses we have all over the place today that you people can claim to yourselves. My grandfather did this and did that. And when they tell their children, it continues to establish the legacy of God's goodness. So that it is not just about the faith that we transfer to them. The Bible says that a righteous man will also give inheritance to the generations to come. His children's children. So we pass our faith to the children, but we also pass our testimonies to them. Joshua said, I want you all to learn today. We crossed this Jordan on a dry land. All you children, you were very young at that time, but we crossed it on a, on a dry land. But 40 years before that time, our own fathers, our own fathers, some of your own grandfathers crossed. I'm just expanding the scriptures. Joshua chapter 4, verse 20 to 24. See, some of our own grand, your own grandparents crossed the Red Sea the same mighty way the hand of God was to be. Why? So that if they came across another Jordan, if they came across another Red Sea, they would remember that their forefathers had crossed seas before by the mighty hand of God. Hallelujah. This is how the children, the faith of children keeps growing and this is how we must keep encouraging it. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 6, it says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Verse 7 says, you shall teach them diligently. Somebody say diligently. Take time to teach children diligently. He said, and you shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Find time for your family altars to teach children the word of God. Make sure that you help children to come to church to learn the word of God. When they get home, ask them, what did you learn today? Don't wait until they are 10 years old. Ask them at age 4, age 5. Even if it was a song they learned, tell them to sing the song for you. Some of those songs that are scriptures and things that will help them know the word of God will be things that will help them later on in life. Some of the songs that I remember today are songs I learned before age eight. And everyone is agreeing here. If you have passed through that sort of stage in life before. If you have gone through those things, they, they stay there. They don't go anywhere. Some of the scriptures we use today and preach all over the world and, and, and people get transformed. We, we, we learn them as memory verses in, in Sunday school. <laughs> Hallelujah. We learn them as memory verses. John 14, 21. I can't forget a woman called Miss Betty Lasha. She's still alive. The, man, the woman that ministered to Bishop David O'Edipo. He, he, she's about 90 years old now. She taught me this in what we call our grade 8 or year 8 now. She taught me, John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them loves me. I was only 11 years old and I never forgot. Every time I quote that scripture, I remember the woman. (laughs) Every time I quote it, I see her face where she was virtually forcing us to learn it. (laughs) He who has my commandments and keeps them, he loves me. So since that day, I understood that my love for God is in keeping his commandments. Hallelujah. The second thing is mentorship. First thing is instructions we must be giving to children. The second thing is mentorship. Living out the life. 
Titus chapter 2, verse 6. He says, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Verse 7. Let's read verse 7 together. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of what? Good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Verse, seven, verse 8. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say against you. Children learn better through what they see especially if it validates what they have been told. We must understand that what children, these little children, they are looking at every one of us, especially me. I'm not ignorant of that. They will not tell you because that was how I looked at the pastors then. I did not tell my parents, but I looked at every one of them and I learned everything I could learn. Today, a lot of those things come back to me and they still help me in ministry. When I see how these men conducted themselves, in going vigorously, in going whether there was anybody or not, in not being discouraged. When some of them fell and I looked at what made them fall, I learned from it. Some careless times that they just let go of caution and certain things happened. I was only eight years old and nine years old. I didn't know why I was interested, but I didn't know then. But now I know because God was preparing me for a day like this. They are always watching, but you are the first persons they see at home. Some of us are afraid to show our children our weaknesses. We think it will corrupt them. Now, I'm not saying behave anyhow in front of children, but at times you need to let them see your weaknesses and how you overcome them. Don't be afraid. If you must argue, please get this in the right context. As parents, if you must argue in front of your children, don't be afraid. Don't take your argument somewhere else. Argue there and end it there. Somebody say, argue there and end it there. What that does is that it teaches the children that in life there are times that mama and papa could argue. But it doesn't mean that the argument always means that they are signing divorce papers after. (laughs) It simply means that they are trying to understand each other and they have taught us how to handle those kind of times and also come out of it. Praise the Lord. When we were in Rome last weekend, we, we had some funny times and we took some funny pictures like that. So we sent one to our WhatsApp group, our family WhatsApp group. And our son in Leicester said, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> he said, well, no. he said, why are you guys like this? We took one funny picture like that. So we put it in the, in the group for them to see where we were because they weren't with us. He just put back there. He said, what, what, we, well, something like that. And we all laughed. You know, just let them see your phone. Let them see that at times you can have fun. You can relax. Because life is really all about living. Live a perfect example for them. I want my sons to treat their wives 100 times, 1,000 times better than I can ever treat my wife. I want my daughter to to be a wife indeed 1,000 times to her own husband better than my wife could have ever been to me. I was going to say that I could be to my wife, but then (laughs) I remember that is the wife's role. Okay. (laughs) Praise God. So they want to see mentorship. The final thing is they want to see discipline. Children want to be disciplined. We don't understand this. Some of us think children don't want to be disciplined. Children want to be disciplined. Children want to be... Have you ever seen a child who grew up not being disciplined, looking at the same parent who was afraid to discipline the child, saying, why didn't you tell me this was wrong? Have you ever heard that before? It's a very painful thing to any parent to hear. The same thing they didn't want to hear, but they hear it because they were afraid to confront a child with discipline. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 13 says, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him, somebody say, if you beat him, 
I didn't say if you kill him now. I say if you beat him. That's the Bible. I'm reading the Bible, okay? Those of you who are so conscious about these things, that is the Bible I'm reading. Proverbs 23, verse 13. They are not my words. New King James Version. He said, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. So if you beat him and he dies, you have done what the Bible says. <laughs> if he dies, either physically or emotionally, you have done what the Bible says you should not do. If you beat him in the way the Bible says you should beat him, he says he will not die. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. My father had a code. Somebody say a code. That code told you the degree of the beating you will get when you got home. When you misbehave outside, there is a way, there is a way he looks at you. So you start to prepare yourself psychologically. <laughs> because when you get home, you will be beaten for that action. So once you know that, when you get home, just go and submit yourself to the beating chamber. <laughs> you know, we laugh over these things now, but they helped us. They helped us. Some children need the rod from time to time. Please get my words correctly. Don't abuse a child. Don't use your, your anger to beat children. Don't, don't, you're having a, a vexation with your spouse. And then a child just comes and says, hello, mom. You say, which kind of mom are you? Hello, boy. You slap the boy. <laughs> You just slap the boy or something happens at work and one line manager is giving you hell. And the young boy didn't know. He just came and said, hi, dad. You say, who is your dad? You give him a knock on the head. No, that's not right. That's not what I'm saying. But there are times when the children do certain things that you need. Proverbs 29, 15 says the rod and the rebuke. The rod and the rebuke. You do the rebuke, you do the rod. You do the rebuke, you do the rod. Because the two of them, the Bible says, they give wisdom. Some things are there where you speak and say, son, don't do that again. Some, you don't speak. Or you speak and then you also bring out the rod. You say, don't do that again. But for you to remember that it is not good, I will give you a little bit of the action on the rod. Praise the Lord. I'm using coded words so that uh, I will not be quoted wrongly. But you all know what I mean. Praise the Lord. I beg of you, I will say again and again, this has no place for abuse. But we must understand when children need to be smacked, they ought to be smacked decently because the Bible says the rod and the rebuke give wisdom. But a, a child left to himself only brings shame to the mother. Your children will not bring shame to you in the name of Jesus. We need to continue to place special emphasis on all children. But the story we read in Matthew 14 because of time, Matthew 18 because of time, 1 to 14, I will not read it again. But the Bible tells us in the last few verses we read, verse 12 to 14, he said, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the 99 and go for the one that is straying? He said, and if you should find it, verse 13, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than the 99 that did not go astray. Verse 14 says, even so, it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. It is very natural to like and love children that are behaving well and to just naturally hate and leave those ones that seem to be a bit more challenging to themselves. It is natural. But what the Bible says is that we have to turn it around. That child needs more help. That child needs more love. It's never an easy thing. When my, my, my son was in, my eldest son, when he was in primary school, he was head boy uh, in that school at that time and everybody used to talk highly of him. When I went for governors, I was a school governor there then too. 
when I went for governor's meeting and everybody says, when I, they say, Dr. Loki, is Toby your son? I say, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he was doing very good at school. If he was the one breaking all the windows and causing all the trouble, if they say, is that your son? You look elsewhere, you ask, you pretend as if they weren't talking about your son. You need to understand that while some, some children may not always be that, we have to stand up as parents. Be bold enough if they say your, your son needs attention at school or something is not happening right. Don't disregard the son and say, do whatever you like with him. I don't care. I've told him what to do. He's always misbehaving. No, no, no. You go there, stand for that child. Tell them, I'm sorry for his behavior. I'm sorry for her behavior. And then you go home and talk with the child. Know where the problem is. If he needs counseling, let him get counseling. Whatever you need to do to help your children. Jesus said, go after that one that needs help. Because there will be more rejoicing for you. The others are sorted. That's what the prodigal son's father said to the elder son. He said, you have everything. You are okay. But you see this one, he has just come back. We need to rejoice. You will keep rejoicing over your children in the mighty name of Jesus. And so we're going to pray today over our communion and we're going to...